we are exhausted. I mean, according to scientists and medical uh, researchers, they uh, estimate that 56% of us experience some degree of sleep deprivation. And let me tell you about that number. There's a, no, there's a huge number of people that don't report that, that don't tell their, their, their doctor that, that, that wouldn't admit that if they were surveyed. We're exhausted. And when I look at the charts... <laughs> that tell how much sleep we're supposed to get. I mean, it's pretty hard not to conclude that everybody is sleep-deprived. I mean, infants, young children need 16 hours of sleep a day. We can relate to that, right? Well, I mean, we've, if we've had kids, we, we know that that's right. But, but how about this? Elementary school-age children, 10 hours a day. Teenagers need 9 to 10 hours a day. Adults need 7 to 10 hours a day. A, a, a day. Man, I get tired just thinking about how much sleep I'm not getting. And we create this thing researchers have identified called a sleep deficit. That means when we miss sleep, it's like, it's like taking money out of your bank account. And, and you miss sleep, we miss sleep, and we take out and we miss sleep, and our body never adjusts. We can kind of get used to a schedule if we work an off schedule, but our body never really adjusts. And there comes a time when that has to be repaid. One researcher goes so far as to call sleep deprivation a national crisis, and the effects are eye-opening, no pun intended. Memory loss depression, weakened immune system, an increased chance of getting sick, increased perception of pain, weight gain, mood swings, increased feelings of anger and rage, uh, rage, decreased alertness, shortened attention span, loss of motor control and coordination, high blood pressure, heart attack, heart failure, and stroke. Not to mention the millions of hours of productivity that are lost every year to sleep deprivation. And get this, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimates that fatigue is a factor in 100,000 automobile wrecks and 1,500 deaths per year. Researchers in Australia and New Zealand report that sleep deprivation can have the same hazardous effects as being drunk. They found that people who drive after being awake for 17 to 19 hours perform more poorly than people with a blood alcohol level of 0.05%. Folks, as your pastor and your friend, get some sleep. Hey, you want, you want to do something nice for dad today? Let him take a nap. Amen. Amen. I was waiting. <laughs> today we're wrapping up a series of messages. We've been looking at some things that Jesus never said. And what we've, what we've found is, is that we all have those things that we think Jesus said. That we think that he's, he, we've heard him say to us or that somebody has told us he would say to us if he had the chance. Things like, you, you've gone too far to be saved. 
if you were a better Christian, this wouldn't be happening to you. Your Christian life depends on what you do. And you've, you've, you've messed up so bad that, that you're not a Christian anymore. And what I hope that we have seen, the conclusion I hope that we have drawn, is that Jesus never said those things. And he never would say them. He never would say those things. Those and a lot of other things that we think Jesus has said to us contradicts who Jesus is. It contradicts his heart. It contradicts the Bible. And we will only live and grow free and mature in our relationship with God to the extent that we are able to get out from under the burden of the things that Jesus never said and never would say. All along we've been saying we need to stop believing the things that Jesus didn't say and start believing the things that he did say. And that's why today I want to turn things around a little bit and I want to conclude this series talking about something that Jesus really did say. This is, this is a truth. This is something he, he clearly has said. And in fact, I believe it's one of the most important things that Jesus has said. I believe it's one of the most freeing and most liberating things that Jesus has said to us. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. If you want to turn over there, if you've got your Bible. There's a, there's a page in your bulletin. The sheet with the scriptures on it we'll be looking at today. If you want to look there, they'll be up on the screen too as we go along as they always are. Because I, I want you to see it. I think it's important for you not just to hear me read the scripture, but for you to see it with your own eyes. And of course, there's levels, right? I mean, the best level is you bring your own Bible. That way you can not just see, not only see the scripture I'm talking about, but the ones that come before it and after it, the context, as they say. Then there's that sheet, that page, and I just copy those. They come from a, a website called Bible Gateway. You just copy and paste them right onto that sheet. And then, you know, the probably the third best way is just to look at the scriptures on the screen. But we, you need to get used to, you need to be able to interact with the Word, interact with the Scriptures. In Matthew 11, Jesus speaks some words against a, a backdrop of religious culture that stressed the importance of performance. And in that, in that culture, in that context, Jesus invited exhausted, weary people to rest. It's found in Matthew 11, verses 28 and through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Can you imagine anything more beautiful, more welcome than an invitation to rest? I gave you permission to take a nap today, dads. And some of you looked at me with tears in your eyes. I saw it. I got a little choked up myself as I thought about that. Rest. Jesus is basically saying, listen, if you're worn out from trying to keep all the rules, if you're exhausted from making sure that you're pleasing God enough, then why don't you just come to me? 
And I'll relieve you of that work. In fact, I'll do that work for you. Now, those words will hit us in different ways, just like it did in Jesus' day. Those words irritated the religious establishment. And by that, I mean those people who had cut their teeth believing that God keeps a score and you don't want to end up on the short side. Those who believed and taught that that God could be appeased by keeping hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations. Those who thought they could manage, even dictate their status with God by keeping the rules. They got upset. They didn't like it. Statements like this that Jesus made caused them to plot to kill him. Somebody said, if you want to make people angry, preach law. If you want to make people furious, preach grace. But you know what? Those words must have sounded so good to the spiritual burnouts and dropouts. Man, they must have sounded good to those who had, who had tried, who had really tried to keep up with the demands of the spiritual culture, who who had tried to keep up with the religious rules and laws and expectations, but they just couldn't do it. They couldn't do good enough, right enough, well enough, long enough, and so they just gave up and quit because they were exhausted. And then Jesus comes along and offers them rest. Rest through a relationship with Him. You know, it's interesting. Jesus is constantly inviting people to Himself. Jesus is not inviting people to a belief system or or to a, a list of rules. He invites people to Himself. Now today, we invite people to church. We'll invite them to a life group. We'll invite them to a special event. We'll invite them to to read a book, to watch a DVD, to to listen to a message. But But we always, listen, without fail, we always invite people who are searching, who are hungry for spiritual truth, to something other than ourselves, right? Something outside of ourselves. We'll say, you know, this is what you need. Or, or, or the truth can be found here. It's always something outside of us. If we told our friends who were seeking that all they needed to do to discover truth was to come and be with us, you know, that, that we were somehow what they were looking for, they'd think we'd lost our ever-loving minds. But that's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what he did. He was constantly telling people that what they desperately needed could only be found in relationship to him and with him. Jesus didn't point them to a philosophy or a religion or to a church. He tapped himself on the chest and said, I am what you need. I'm what you're looking for. To to people who were searching. For purpose and meaning and truth, Jesus said, I am the end of your search. Jesus was always saying these incredible, outrageous things. I mean, statements that, and you know what we tend to do? We read them today and go, oh, yeah, Jesus said that. 
It's in red. He must have said it. But it blew their minds in that day. When Jesus would stand up in front of them and say, I am the way, the truth, the life. When he would stand in front of them and say, I am the bread of life. If you will come to me, you'll never go hungry. I'm the water of life. If you come to me, you'll never be thirsty again. Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. Folks, I'm the sun in the sky and the stars at night. I am the light. And if you come to me, you'll come out of darkness and you'll live in the light. And Jesus said, As in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Now, Jesus was either the most self-centered, arrogant, deluded person who ever lived Or he was who he said he was. I mean, that's our choices, right? That's that's the old C.S. Lewis quote. We can't say Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just a, a good philosopher who was providing an example to us. No, no, no. He's either a liar, a lunatic, C.S. Lewis said, on the level of someone who thinks they are a poached egg, or he's Lord. was either crazy or he was the answer to every prayer and the fulfillment of the dream of every hungry soul. When we begin a relationship with Jesus, we're not entering a system that's maintained by our hard work or one where we'll be graded for our performance. We're not told to obey the rules, to check off the boxes, to keep a running tally of what we do. We are simply invited to know Him. See, it's the weary and the burdened who are on Jesus' guest list. Jesus didn't target the well-put-together He didn't target the polished, the stellar religious performers. They would probably think they didn't need him anyway. No, Jesus went after the down and outers, the spiritually bankrupt, the religiously lost, those who didn't make the cut, those who could not reach that impossibly high bar that had been set by the religious elite. Those were the ones Jesus invited to come to him, the weary and the burdened. And that's all of us. That's all of us who realize that we can't make God happy with all of our activities. I mean, we're followers of Christ. We love him, but we feel like we can't please him. We can't please God. We feel like our lives are a royal mess and we've got nothing to offer Him. We feel like we're a constant letdown to God and that no matter how hard we try or how much we pray or how much we serve, we just can't be the Christian that we ought to be. Is that you? Is it? 
Because when you're completely frustrated in your efforts to make God happy, when you feel like you're always a day late and a dollar short in your relationship with God, when you feel like you can never do enough to get into God's good graces, listen to me, Jesus was talking to you. Jesus offers his invitation to us. Jesus used a very familiar image to help those who were listening to him, to help them understand what he was offering them. He said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. It was an agricultural environment, right? They used oxen. And so people knew all about yokes, those heavy wooden leather harnesses that fit over the head and shoulders of oxen. Man, those things were so big and so heavy. I've seen pictures of them where a full-grown man is standing next to one that even goes above his head. And they were heavy, and the idea was to keep the oxen's heads down so that they would pull together in the same direction so that they, they wouldn't wander or pull apart. And think about this. According to Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is teaching this in his home region. He was teaching it in the area where he lived and grew up until he got to be 30 years old and embarked on his earthly ministry. Now, what was Jesus' occupation? Carpenter. What did carpenters work with? Wood. Carpenters built, they, they didn't just build houses, they built things like tables and chairs and yokes. And the chances are that people who were listening to Jesus speak included some farmers who were using Joseph and sons' yokes. Their ears kind of pricked up when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. I use the yoke that you and your father built. That's not what I mean. What Jesus is saying is, I know that you can identify with the heavy yoke of religious laws and rules. It is a burden that is too heavy for you to bear. It is, it is a burden that you cannot keep up with. Why not take my yoke instead? Why not come to me and relate to me on the basis of grace and forgiveness and love and acceptance and healing? That's what he's saying. If you exhausted spiritual seekers will join yourselves to me, you will find joy and contentment and abundant life, not spiritual burnout. Connect yourself to me. Let me do the work, Jesus says. I'll make you pure. I'll heal your wounds. I'll, I'll take care of your hurts. I'll make you right with God. You and I are exactly the kind of people Jesus had in mind when he made the offer. We're on the guest list. And get this, Jesus promised to give us rest. He promised to give us rest. Now, let's do a reset here. In the Old Testament, after God had done a miracle and brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, Moses found himself leading a bunch of whiners and complainers through the wilderness. 
It's just incredible to read. They, they constantly moaned and complained about how bad things were. It's like they had forgotten how much they had suffered in Egypt. And they had the gall, the unmitigated gall to gripe about their living conditions after God had led them out of captivity. They even, on occasion, longed to go back and be slaves again. More than once, God threatened to wipe out the whole ungrateful bunch and just start over with Moses and a brand new nation. And more than once, Moses ended up pleading with God to be patient and to to show mercy to those rebellious, ungrateful people. And in Exodus 33, we see Moses doing that again. Moses pleading for God to protect the people, to continue to guide them. And he prays. He, He says this to God in Exodus 33, verse 13. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your way so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Now that's pretty bold. That's a pretty cheeky prayer to pray. God, remember, this is your people we're talking about. And what we need here is your favor. What we need here is your guidance. What we need here is your presence with us. And God's response to Moses went far beyond anything he could imagine, anything he could have hoped for. It's in verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Now, God's promise to go with them was thrilling. It was breathtaking. Think about it. God's not obligated to hang out with them. He's not. God could have just chosen to leave them on their own. He could have made them sitting ducks for the invading armies of the nations that surrounded them. But He promised to be with them. And God's promise of His presence brought with it the guarantee of provision and protection for His people. Moses must have been so humbled and so excited. But that's not all God said. He promised to be with them, and then He said, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Here's what that means. Here's why this is important. God's presence predicts His rest. God's presence promises His rest. It's like God is saying, because of my presence, you'll know my protection and my provision, and you'll have rest. There's a cause and relationship effect here. God's presence brings rest. Moses knew, the Israelites knew, that God's presence meant protection and rest. They they knew that God was going to be with them. Always. They knew that he was going to protect them from invaders and enemies. They knew that he would give them rest, that that they could stop worrying about what might happen tomorrow or what might be around the next corner. Let's make sure we get this. Rest was inseparable from God's presence. One always accompanies the other. And now let's jump back forward 1,400 years from Exodus to Matthew. And Jesus stands in front of the tired and the weary and the exhausted, and he invites them into a relationship with himself. And what does he promise them? I will give you rest. 
And that was no accidental statement by Jesus. Any good Jew knew what God had promised Moses and the Israelites back in Exodus. Those words were some of the sweetest ever spoken by God to anyone. And when Jesus says them, he completely understands what he's saying and what he's doing. I imagine that the people in the crowd looked at each other, you know, muttered under their breath, mouthed the words to each other. Did you hear what he just said? Did he say what I think he said? Because listen, nobody quoted God like they were his equal and lived to tell about it. Nobody. When Jesus says, I will give you rest, He's saying, I have the same ability to bring peace and protection and provision to your life as the God who spoke to Moses in Exodus. He's saying that he and God are one and the same. This is a statement of his divinity. He's saying that his presence is the same as God's presence and his rest is the same as God's rest. Now let's think about how that occurs in our lives and what that means in our lives. In his invitation to those of us who are worn out and exhausted, Jesus is offering to be to us what God was to Israel in the wilderness. That's it. Jesus is promising if, if we will follow him that he will be our shelter and our defender and our leader and our provider. And along with all that comes the rest, comes the, the, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual rest that can only exist when we know for an absolute certainty that God is our advocate, not our adversary. That God is, as the Bible says, for us and not against us. That is so important because it's the key to taking down any lie that we might hear or imagine or be told about Jesus and how he feels about us. That's how we take down the lies. There are two conclusions we can come to based on Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11. Conclusions that can change forever how we look at Jesus and how we look at our relationship to him. You ready? Here we go. Number one. Jesus wants us. Jesus wants us. Jesus wants us. Make no mistake about it. Jesus extended his invitation to rest to you and me. Let me tell you something about yourself and about myself. We are not the one great exception in history that God cannot or will not love. That he cannot or will not forgive. That he cannot or will not accept. We are not that special. None of us has gone too far. None of us has gone too far. When Jesus gave the invitation, he didn't aim it at the really good people or the really pretty people, the really churchy people. He aimed it at the spiritually broken. 
That's exactly who he aimed it for. And, and, and when we find ourselves nearing the end of our rope with our strength running out and we're exhausted from trying to earn and to win God's favor, then we're exactly the kind of people Jesus was reaching out to. And let me say this. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, oh, that's not me. I'm not spiritually worn out. I mean, I, I've got my act all together. Well, I'm not trying to be mean. In fact, it's love that compels me to say this to you. Just keep going like you've been going. Brokenness will find you eventually. You hear me? The time is going to come when you feel desperate before God and you feel helpless without Him and then you will be exactly where God wants you to be. Precisely where He wants you to be. There's a little exercise. I, I, I want us to make Jesus' invitation personal. We know that He said, Come to me, all you who are weary. And that little word all has a really big meaning. I mean, it's, it's all inclusive. There are no limits. It's everybody. Anyone can come to Jesus. But it's, but it's so broad that sometimes we exempt ourselves. It's so general that sometimes we wonder if that's us. I mean, all means all, but maybe that's, all doesn't mean me. So on the insert with the scriptures on it, you see it right there? And if you didn't get a bulletin and you want one of these, there's some extras around somewhere. If one of the uh, ushers or somebody could grab some, if you want one. Because here's what I want you to do. It says, come to me, and there's a blank, and I will give you rest. I want you to write your name in that blank. I want you to do it right now. Write your name in that blank right now. And then, now this is the weird part. Then I want you to read it out loud. Let's go ahead and read them out loud right now. Just read it out loud two or three or four times. Okay? Go ahead. Let the Holy Spirit speak this to you as you read it out loud. Read them. Let's go. If you're reading out loud, I should be able to hear you. Come to me. Come to me, Chuck. Eugene, Susan, Pam, Alice, Ron, Jamie, Todd, Melinda, Richard. I could go on all morning. Come to me and I will give you rest. We could go on and on and spend the rest of our lives filling in the blanks because the beautiful, undeniable biblical reality is that that invitation is to every one of us. Every one of us. You and me. The invitation is for us. Here's the second thing I want us to, second conclusion I want us to come to. Whatever the size of our burden, Jesus wants it. Whatever the size of our burden, Jesus wants it. Jesus is in the business of burden lifting. 
Part of his mission is to take the load from the shoulders of, of the tired and the exhausted. And it doesn't matter what the load is. It doesn't matter how, how long we've carried it. If it's weighing us down and it's sapping our spiritual strength, Jesus wants it. Let me be painfully specific. You were abused as a child and you have trouble trusting others and forgiving others. Jesus wants your burden. You've made terrible mistakes in your relationships. You've driven people away. You've hurt people you love the most. Jesus wants your burden. You've had massive financial failures. Maybe there's a bankruptcy or two in your background. Jesus, Jesus wants your burden. You often find yourself feeling afraid or sad. Jesus wants your burden. You're a worrier. Jesus wants your burden. You've always struggled with your weight. You feel ugly. You feel like a failure. The whole world's skinny and you're not. Jesus wants your burden. You're eaten up with guilt. You don't even know why. Some of the things you feel guilty about, you can't even remember. and Nobody else can either. But Jesus wants your burden. You hate your life. You never wanted it to be like this. You wish you could start over. Jesus wants your burden. You battle depression. Jesus wants your burden. You're an addict or an alcoholic. Jesus wants your burden. You secretly look at pornography. Jesus wants your burden. You've never felt significant or valued or worth anything. You, you always feel like you're invisible. Jesus wants your burden. You're lonely, even in a crowded room. You're so terribly lonely. Jesus wants your burden. You feel like God is always angry with you. Jesus wants your burden. You feel like you're always letting God down. Jesus wants your burden. You don't think you can ever be good enough for God. Jesus wants your burden. And then there's one more, and only you know what it is. Write it down in the blank. Write it down in the blank, right over there where it says, Jesus wants my burden. And then listen to me. There is no statue of limitations on the burdens that Jesus is willing to bear. None. It doesn't matter how long we've struggled. 
or how heavy the burden is or how messy it is or how, how ugly it is or how intimidating it is. Whatever our burden, Jesus wants it. And here's what I want us to do. I want you to, to take that paper. You want to cut it out of there and carry it in your pocket, put it in your purse, put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it somewhere where you can, where you can see it and you can read it. Where you can keep it fresh in your mind because it represents the heart of all that Jesus really has said to us. It is His red letter message to us summed up in two beautiful sentences. And now that we know what Jesus has said and how He really feels about us, we are ready to take on any lie that anybody will try to tell us about God and about our relationship with Him. We're ready to expose and refute the things that, didn't, that, that Jesus didn't say and to rejoice in all the things that He did say. Now bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Father God,